The covenant choice. Could have called it choose life. Could have called it the covenant renewal. There was lots of titles I was pondering on. I came out with the covenant choice, a blend of two chapters. In chapter nine, or chapter 29, this is a little miniature book of Deuteronomy. It's almost broken out the same way the entire book of Deuteronomy is. And so in chapter 29, we're going to see here, Moses delivers the fourth of the five sermons in Deuteronomy, these sermons to the nation of Israel, who's still sitting on the east side of the Jordan River, ready to take and go into the promised land. They haven't arrived there yet. They're preparing, and Moses, their leader, preparing through a series of sermons to prepare this new generation to go in and to do what God has asked him to do. So what is the theme of the book of Deuteronomy for all five of the themes that were covered in the book of Deuteronomy? And that is obedience. All five sermons have the same theme. Obedience, obedience, obedience. The choices that we make in life. That's what Deuteronomy is all about. All five sermons presented by Moses to the, to the, the people they're looking on the other side, the east side of the, of the Jordan, looking across into Jericho of the promised land, getting ready to go. And so here in chapter 29, we still see Moses will review the past. He's going to reflect back on the past, verses 1 through 8, so that the new generation remembers. Very important to, point. We also see that he's going to call the people to obey God's law. Again, in this sermon, in this sermon, he says you need to obey the word of God. We see that in verses 9 through 15. And then, of course, he always, like a good leader, always warns the people when if you do not do what God's law says or his word says. We will see that in verses 16 through 29. When you obey, you're blessed. When you disobey, you're not blessed. <laughs> There's consequences. Pretty simple. Just have to remember it and do it. Now, as we continue to read Moses' farewell address, we may be tired of the repeated themes of obedience, of obedience, of obedience. Warning after warning. Yes, we need to listen to the word of God. Yes, we need to obey. the. And after a while, if you read through Deuteronomy, you're like, okay, it sounds like we've already gone through this. Can we move on? No, no, no. There's a reason why God repeats himself through his word to us because it's so important that we be reminded and be encouraged because these are essentials of God's covenant with his people. These are essentials, and he's always going to repeat his essentials to his people through his word. And the people had it to rely upon this reputation, repetition of the word. Why? Because only the priests and the Levites had the word. They had to sit there and listen to them because they're the only ones that had a copy of it. They didn't have a copy in their house. They didn't have five copies of the word of God in their house sitting on their table and still not being read. So they had to listen. Anytime that they were going to read the word, they came and they earnestly listened because they had to remember the word, what they're hearing, because they had nothing else in their homes. And they had to repeat, 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 because that's how they were going to learn. We read, we read, we read, we read the word of God so that we will remember. Philippians 3.1 is very familiar with this, is it not? Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So we see <laughs> Philippians here, it's not only good for you to remember what is being said and repeat, 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 but we're gonna, I'm going to keep writing the same things to you, Paul says, because I need you to, it's safe for you. Because if you're not listening, you're not reading, you're not applying, you're not being obedient, you're unsafe. You're really unsafe. And, uh, and it's so true. Too often God's people forget what they ought to remember, and they remember what they ought to forget. And it's so important, those kind of a lessons we learn from that, because the covenant declared in Deuteronomy was not different from the covenant that was given originally at Mount Sinai. It's the same covenant. 
He's just repeating it because rather than just initially explaining it, he repeats himself through these sermons, through the time, so that we not only ex uh, hear it, but he explains it and he also gives application. Why do we come Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday? Why do we continue to read the word so that the Holy Spirit can not only you can hear it, but explain it and give application to the word for your life? That is why we do this. And so this new generation needed to hear it. They needed it be explained to them because they weren't there in Egypt. They weren't, they're not the ones that went through the, the desert experience for the 40 years. No, they didn't read it. This is a whole new generation. So they're just remembering of what the past took place. But they needed to know that to apply it, to understand some really important lessons of why they need to be obedient. And that is God's faithfulness and his love for the people to bring them through some really difficult times in their life. Slavery, desert experience, all those things. They had to remember only enough to grow in understanding, not to dwell on the past of, of pain and suffering, but no, 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 to remember to draw you closer to understanding of who your God is, that he is faithful and loving that he brought them through this. And he's trying to teach this to this new generation that's going to go into this new situation called the promised land. But understand, Moses never seemed to tire reminding the people of God's grace and of God's mercy. And it's a God of grace and it's a God of mercy that we see in the Old Testament through these times that was given to the descendants of the one who was given the promise initially, which is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So here in Deuteronomy 29, verse 1, we see that these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. So here, some 40 years before this, at Mount Sinai, here at what you refer to as Horeb, is that Israel has made a covenant with God. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it, hearing of the people, so the people could hear this, this covenant, this commitment, and that all, that all that the Lord had said we will do and be obedient. They said we would do it. We hear you. We heard it. We understand it. Yes, we are going to be obedient. And that took place 40 years prior. And so Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made you according to all these words. We saw that, we studied that when we went through uh, you know, Exodus chapter 24, verses 7 and 8. Now the next generation, the generation that came out of Egypt, the previous generation I should say, was a generation of unbelief and they had to die within the desert experience. And it was an opportunity now for this generation of faith. Why was it a generation of faith? Because they did not live it. They did not see it. They didn't experience it. They only learned from the past, from those previous. A generation of faith. So Moses was reconfirming the covenant for this new generation so they would not forget. Then now Moses called all Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all of his servants and to all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. So here we're going to see in verses 2 through 9 a part of this section of review of the, their history. And it's a review because we know that we know the history. We know our history. But they learn the lessons of their history is the question. So God says, you know the history. I've been telling you about the history. Moses repeats himself. This is the history. This is history. But people don't learn from the history what the lesson was. And it's so true today. People in our lives, we know our history. You can tell what happened in your life. But the question is, did you learn the lessons from that history? 
And if you didn't, you're going to repeat your history. You're going to repeat yourself. And in some, most of the time, it's not a good thing you're repeating. So God is going to say, I'm going to teach you your lessons here from the history. So I'm going to apply the history so you know it. Then I'm going to explain it in application so you'll learn from these lessons that I am faithful and I love you. And that I have grace and I have mercy upon you. But that only comes because you're obedient. Obedience. Immediate obedience. Not disobedience. So here, now Moses called, again, all of Israel. It wasn't just for some special leadership group. Leadership only. Only the inner circle only. Just the relatives and friends of Moses. No, 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 no. It was all of Israel needed to hear this. Israel saw great wonders, if you remember. Their history was filled with miracles. From the hand of God since from the becoming from Egypt. They saw the plagues. They saw the death of the firstborn. They saw the, the Red Sea departed. They saw Egyptian armies destroyed. They saw victories won by prayer. They saw them won, provided by manna that they never even knew existed. And, 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 and they drank the miraculous water that came from a rock. I mean, these are amazing miracles that have happened in the generation before. Through it, they heard the history. They heard everything that was going on. Miracle after miracle after miracle of God working in someone's life. But that did not change their heart. Miracles will never change your heart. And I emphasize that. Because how many people will go to churches looking to see the miracles? Oh, God, just show me a miracle. I'm a miracle. I remembered a miracle. But did it change your heart? Did it change your life? Were you obedient to the word of God? Most of the time, no, it did not. And that's what Moses is saying here. I'm teaching the history and your entire generation died in a desert because of disbelief. And you're now the new generation. Now take the history, understand it, now apply it so you don't repeat the history of your previous generation. The miracles were to bring a deeper understanding. They were to bring appreciation of who God was and what he's power and is capable of doing to change one's life. To deepen our walk personally with God. To see his faithfulness in our life. To see his deep love for us. That is why God would even begin to show you a miracle in your life. It's to draw you a deeper, deeper relationship with him of obedience. The miracles in and themselves cannot accomplish anything in the heart of Israel. If God did not send his spirit to change their hearts, then the greatest wonder imaginable would not make a difference. All of those miracles did not make a difference in these disobedient generation. Some people today think the greatest help to evangelism would be to see and to hear more miracle events. After all, who could not believe in the face of such displays of spiritual power? Everyone will be saved. Not true. But seeing great wonders accomplished. Nothing apart from a supernatural work of God in one's heart is the only miracle you need. In Jesus' day, you remember Jesus himself, the Messiah, God in the flesh, the incarnate, incarnate one. He literally showed miracles to these religious leaders and it changed not one heart. I shouldn't say that. There were some that appears that some religious leaders did come to Christ, but it wasn't through the miracles. 
Go back and read John 12, 37, and then a couple more verses, I believe, right after that, and you'll see that and read that. Because what happened, he, God, Jesus himself fed 5,000, and the people saw that. It didn't change their heart. He fed 4,000, didn't change their heart. Raised him from the dead, didn't change their heart. Why? Because the scripture is very clear why. They refused to see who Jesus was as the Messiah. Scripture is clear. They refused to believe. That is why those miracles did not change the heart. And we see in verse 5, And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not been worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Mount Sinai, Horab, Sion, the king of Hishbon, or an odd king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, and we conquered them, and we took them their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Rumanites and the Gadites and half of the tribe of Manasseh. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Again, tremendous miracle if you think this through. Your favorite pair of jeans did not wear out in the desert. Levi stood up to the test of 40 years. Your little special Birkenstocks made it through the 40 years. They didn't wear out. That's a miracle. He provided not your typical bread. He provided manna. He provided the, 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 the fowl to come, the, to have protein. He didn't do those miracles to prove what he could do with the, the clothes and the sandals and the food. That wasn't his purpose. His purpose is so you would recognize that he's a faithful God, a loving God, a God that provides, and he is a God that has a power to sustain you. That is what they were supposed to learn from those miracles. Not because you can just keep your clothes in order for all these years. There's only one logical response when you see God doing miraculous things in and through your life. It's just acknowledging and knowing the greatness of God's love and power and faithfulness in your life. It should have caused the Israelites to commit to, his, to God's covenant evermore. To obey to God's word. That's what it should have caused them to do through those miracles. Well, we see and we continue here, not only we see the little bit of history that, he, that in this sermon of Moses to the people, but he's now going to call them to obedience again here in verses 10 through 15. He's renew this covenant, renew this, understand this, make it your own, understand this is for you. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers and all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into, covet, into covenant with the Lord your God, into his oath. It's God's oath, not your oath, it's God's oath which the Lord your God makes with you today. Verse 13, And that he may establish you today as a people for himself, that he may be God to you, that he may be God to you, just as he has spoken to you, just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. That covenant, I'm telling you, Moses is saying to him, this covenant, God is the one coming and making the oath and the promise and what he says he's going to do for you. He says if you're obedient, he'll bless you. He wants to bless you. He wants you to be under the covering of his blessings and provision. He wants you to understand that of his faithfulness, his love, and his provision for your life. Will you commit to him? Will you sign this covenant life with this covenant choice today to follow him in obedience? Will you make that covenant? And it's not just for you. He made it with your father Abraham. And now he makes it with your previous generation. They disobeyed. Now he's saying, I make that covenant with you, this generation, the generation of faith. And he says at the very end there in verse 15, and I make him with not only yesterday, today, but he says, I even make it for tomorrow. Because it wasn't just for the covenant here. He says, I'm making it for ongoing. This simple obedience of God's word translate into a blessed life for all people. For all people who will just make that covenant choice to follow God. So it was made for the entire nation. And everyone was to listen and to watch and to see that every single man would make this covenant choice. And everyone was included in that decision because it was God's desire to enter into that covenant to the people of, for himself. He wasn't just looking for a few prominent, talented people. Or for just one spiritual tribe like the Levites? God wanted the whole nation to be this people for himself. But it, not only that, but it extended beyond those who stood before the Lord and Moses on that day. It was going to be for the descendants of the nation of Israel. The, the secret of prosperity was the blessing of God. The secret of receiving that blessing was obedience to God's word. God could not truly be God to them if they refused to accept and obey his word. What does what he does for us depends a great deal on how we relate to him, does it not? Go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. The covenant that he made with their fathers would stand forever. God's promise was standing forever. It didn't matter what, what other people were doing. God did not change. But their enjoyment of that promise that God, that blessing that God wanted to give to them. Their enjoyment of these promises depended on their obedience to, the, to the, the, what God is telling them. You're going to enjoy your Christian walk based on what? Your obedience to the, to the word of God. It's important to note that what the Jews did that day affected not only their lives, but their descendants in the years to come. It will affect another next generation and the generation after that. It never just affects just you. And that's why we see in verses 16 through 29 here the warnings of judgment if they do not follow. Moses, again, like everything else in the full book of Deuteronomy, uh, our favorite book here on Wednesday night, that uh, if you're a covenant breaker, there are consequences. It says right here, for you know, notice that, underline that in your Bible, for you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we came through the nations which you passed by. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You know. You know the history. 
But look at what he says in verse 17. And you saw, not only did you know, but then you also saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood and stone, silver and gold. You saw how the, they became idolaters and what that consequence is when you would follow idolatry. It's not like you were just, you only heard. You actually saw it as well with your own eyes, how, what, the consequences and how they lived. So that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord your God to go and serve the gods of these nations. That there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness and woodwork. Wormwood. And so it may not happen when the hears the words of these curse that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. The Lord would not spare him, for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would turn, would burn against that man, and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him, and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. So we see these verses here. Very important that we take a look at some of these verses as we continue here, because he says, you know what they've, they've, where they came from. You saw what happened when they picked up and started in any in these nations around you, these idolaters and what would be happening. And if you don't turn your hearts away today for the Lord and you just keep your eyes on the worldly things and you pursue worldly things, you saw how it, there's this root of bearing of bitterness and this bitterness of wormwood would be created within the heart. And remember, they heard the curses. He heard the blessings. We studied that previously. Then those curses would be applied to them because they did not follow God. But notice there in verse 19 there, where he, where he gets to a point where you heard, you will hear the words of the cursings that would come upon you because you're living an idolatrous life. You're disobedient to the word of God. But be very careful, you're not that man, he says, where he says, he blesses himself in his heart. Oh, I'm so blessed. Oh, it's, it's such a blessing. He's convincing. Moses is saying, you're convincing yourself that you're going to be blessed, you, even though you know that you know what the curse is coming, going to be coming upon you because of your disobedience. You're going to be like a man who sits there, and, oh, I shall be have, I have peace. I, I'm at peace with what's going on in my life. I, I think I'm going to be fine being a drunkard and hang around with the sober and, be, and no consequences. I can go live like the rest of the world. I, I'm at peace with it. I think for the most part I'm a pretty good guy. And you have this sense, this, a sense of a false peace. It's an, a, it's an illusion to man and to woman to think you're going against the word of God as a child of God and not think you're going to be, have consequences. It's foolishness. Moses is saying to them, you are going to be like this man who thinks he has this peace about him and he dictates in his own heart. I have peace. I have peace. I have peace. I, I know I'm doing it. I'm good. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be. Even though you're living in idolatry. Even though you know you're going against the word of God. Moses said in verse 20, the Lord, the Lord will not spare him. You're going, to, you're going to rile up the anger of, of a jealous God that says you're, you're, you're following other small, these little false gods that are out there, and there's going to be consequences from that behavior. Nobody in Israel was to get involved in idolatry. Zero. You are not to be involved. God made that very clear to this generation. To his people. Any idolater could become a bitter root. And why that he made that bitter root? It's like cancer. That bitter root will take effect and it will affect the rest of the nation of Israel. God said, absolutely no idolatry. Because it will affect your family, affect 
your, out, your outer circle of your family, your community, an entire nation will be affected by this one man who started being an idolatrous and then let it spread across to other people. And that's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. Hebrews 12.15 applies this same warning to the local assemblies of believers. You have, if you have someone among you that's living in idolatry and living in habitual sin and it's not addressed, it'll be like cancer. It'll spread among the rest of the people. You know the story. The warning of someone who was sleeping with the father's wife. You're supposed to cut that out. Get, get them out. But they were like, oh, we're tolerant. We're a tolerant church. We're, we're, we accept everybody. We're, it's okay to live habitual sin and be part of and, and declare this. No, no, God says, no, no, no. They can't be among the fellowship. Even Ecclesiastes 9.18, one sinner destroys much good. Even if the offenders keep their sins hidden, you have to understand the Lord knows all things, sees all things. And that's why God warns us. Because we can get in this little happy space and think even a drunkard may be happy when he is drunk. But his happiness is based on an illusion. And God warns against included the peace of, of the righteous with the peace of the wicked. And the Lord will not spare him. I think Isaiah 48, 22 says it very clearly. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. The wicked can say all they want and say they have peace, but God knows what's best. They do not have peace. Not God's peace. It's just an illusion, a false peace that they have. And the score, really what God is saying to them, is the score is going to be settled. God will settle it properly either on this side of eternity but it may be settled on the other side of the eternity. But no one can forsake the Lord and escape the consequences. That's what he's saying, Moses. God is saying through Moses to the people. In verse 21, he says, And the Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in the book of the law. So that the coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land would say when they see the plagues of the land and the sickness which the Lord has laid on it, the whole land is a brimstone and salt and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. Adama and Zebomi, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath, all nations would say, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? Verse 35, then the people would say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. That's the first reason why they see God's anger being coming upon the people. But look at the second reason. For is another, another transition word for another. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them. Gods that they did not know and that he, God, had not given to them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land and to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. So we see what happens here in the purpose of the judgment. When you're, in a, you're a covenant breaker, God says here, you're going to bring upon the curses that God said will come upon you. You go against God and you go against his word. He says, this is what's going to happen. And what's going to happen is the people outside of the nation of Israel who are watching these people, these God's people, and go, whoa, 
Look at what God is doing to his own people. Why is he God doing that to his own people? Why? Because it makes it clear, even to a non-believer, will look and say, because they've forsaken God. They went against God's word. That's why there's consequences coming upon them. And they are following false gods. They're following their idolaters. And God said to them, and even non-believers know what God told them they couldn't do. They went and served other gods and worshipped them. They gave their life over to other things, other followings. Committed their life to follow things that were against God. Even non-believers, people outside of the nation of Israel could see why the curse was coming down. And guess made it very clear. And the judgment would be that God would take them away from the promised land and take them to Babylon. The enemies would take over them and they become slaves again. They'll go right back where they started. And let me give you a warning, my brothers and sisters. When you give your life to Christ and your following and obedience for the love of, for God and you go back to the old life, you're going to go right back to where you were and even worse. That's why we cannot look back. We can also learn from the calamity that comes from the lives of others when they break God's covenant. We can learn that the price of disobedience is not worth it going back to the old life dabbling with the old life we can learn that the commands of god are good and protective in our lives they're safe when we continue to be reminded not to stray away from the the truths of god now god's purpose in bringing judgment against these covenant breaking israel was also for the sake of all nations because when they see what happened to a nation who forsakes the Lord, they will be warned to be obedient, to change their life. I find in verse 30, uh, 29 and interesting here because he says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our, to our children forever, that, the, that we may do all the words of this law. When you obey the Lord... If when you love him, when you worship him alone, then you don't have to worry about any judgments. You don't have to worry about the curses he's saying to him. That in the midst of this encouragement to obedience, be obedient, be obedient, be obedient, Moses paused to give this principle of something very important to his people. And as God speaks to us, first, God never declares everything to man. Right up front, there are some things that are secret that only God knows and we will not know. He doesn't know, he knows what you know and what you don't need to know. And there are some secret things. God, first principle is that God never declares everything to man. That there are secrets God has and will always have. He has the right to have secrets because he is God. And you have to settle that in your heart. God is bigger and smarter than this. Yes, even you. And always has been. We must simply accept this truth. He says in Isaiah 55, verses 89, is so so wonderfully true for us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That is truth, and we must remember this truth. Sometimes we struggle. God, why aren't you telling me? What? There's some things that God is not going to tell you. The second thing he says is those things which are revealed. So the second truth here that 
Moses reveals to us is God does reveal some things to us, to man. God is present. God is everywhere. God knows all things. He is not silent. We must do all we can to pay close attention to him when he speaks to us through his word and through situations and circumstances. And then there's those things which are revealed that belong to us. This third principle, this third truth that is revealed here is God's revelation is meant to say something to us. God did not speak just to blow our minds in or to amuse us with his power. There's a message which belongs to us. And there's times where we cannot perfectly understand what he's trying to tell you, but God reveals, illuminates his truth in a perfect, understandable way when we are listening. Earnestly, diligently seeking him. And who does he do it to? To us and to our children. So the fourth principle that Paul, uh, Moses says here is that God's revelation is transgenerational. God's revelation is transgenerational. Yes, God had a specific message for Moses' generation. But that message goes beyond that generation, the original audience, and speaks to all generations which follow. That's why we love the word of God, because it's for us today. He also says, not only is it to us and our children, but it's to us and our children forever. That's that fifth part. That's the fifth truth here, that God's revelation is eternal. It's not limited, it's eternal. The fifth is God's revelation is eternal. His word not only lasts forever, it is forever relevant to us. That's why when people say to you, the, the Old Testament is not relevant today. <coughs> they do not understand the, understand the truth of God. Because God's revelation is eternal. God's word is more relevant than any new fad or interest that may sweep through this world or any church. Because there's fads and movements that happen all the time. Winds of doctrine are going through. You make the connection? There's always winds of doctrine going through that people are trying to make a name and write their books and all kinds of movements. But his word is eternal. It never changes. We must stick to the word of God. And lastly, and finally, he says that we may do all the words of, his law, of this law. Finally, God's revelation must matter to us. That's the final, the sixth revelation. God's revelation must matter to us. He doesn't speak to us just to amuse our curiosity. To help, oh, it's, I, I think I, I'll ponder on some spiritual things today. I had nothing else to, to, to do. So, God, can you amuse me with some spiritual things that I can deal, you know, play around with today? Because I, I like to know, I like to learn. That's not the reason why God's revelation is for God to reveal things to you, to amuse you. He's spoken to us to affect the way we live, to change our lives, to live a life that is pleasing to him. That is why God's revelation is to us and why it should matter to us. For only hearers of the word and not doers of the word also, then we have not really received his word. Oh, let's press on here in chapter 30. So when all these things come upon you, okay, this is what this is what this is what Moses is saying. It's not if, but he says, now it shall come to pass. So when these things come upon you, Moses is prophesying. I know what is about to be said is what comes from God is prophesying to you what was going to happen. He says, now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, 
and you called them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. Notice that. After all of this reminding, after all this repeating myself and repeating myself and warning you and warning you and telling you the truth and trying to help, you're going to go and do what you're not supposed to do. And it's going to have a consequence and you're going to be driven into a place they didn't even know. He didn't even know Babylon. But all the spirit of God was telling Moses, yes, this is what's going to happen to you. And you're going to go into captivity. And we know, because we know the scripture, we know the history, right? He went into Babylon. And when you get into Babylon, you know what's going to happen? When I have set before you, you will call them to mind. When you're sitting in chains and you're in slavery and you're in foreign lands and you are being abused and all the things are coming crashing down on you because you're feeling the weight of the fact of your disobedience, you're going to recall to mind. Where the Lord your God drives you is you're going to be called to mind what you did and where you should not have done what you've done. I'm going to remind you of all the blessings that I wanted to give you, God says. I'm going to remind you that I took you out of Egypt. I brought you through the desert. I provided you and took you and gave you a whole new life and into the promised land. I have made a way for you to live a life that is a life of blessing. And in my blessing that's pouring out upon you and protecting you and, and providing for you, absolutely amazing. And I'm going to bring back to your memory when you're in slavery again. Of everything you've given up. To follow little idols. To follow and go back to the old life. God knew that Israel would be scattered and exiled. We see it in the scripture. And here through Moses, God calls that diasophora, which means Israel, that dispersion among all the nations to remember of the promises of the blessing and the curse. And when you bring it back to mind of all that you have given, have caused to lose, it should bring you to repentance because you see right here in this next verse and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart, with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. Notice that. Here's the promise. If you will repent you will return to the Lord your God and follow him again. Not just say, I'm sorry. Not just say that, I, 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 I promise, I promise, I promise, I'll never do it again. I promise, I promise. No, no. A genuine repentance of the heart and with all your soul that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. And if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. Then, verse 5, the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. That is amazing grace. Because they didn't deserve it. That is amazing mercy. <laughs> that God spared them. Because he took them into captivity, but he didn't wipe them out completely. So he showed mercy, didn't wipe them out completely, and he showed grace by bringing them and saying, if you come back to me, I'll put you right back into the promised land, I promise. Because they had true repentance. What is repentance? What is the New Testament repentance? The New Testament repentance is a change of mind. Repentance is I changed my mind. How I used to see that sin, I no longer see that sin. I see it the way it is. It's wicked. It's against God. I want no longer to touch it ever again. 
change of mind. Change of how I see things. I change my idea of how I will live my life. And when you have true change of mind, then that will change your direction. That will not only change your direction, it will change your decision making. And how do you know if you had repentance? If you truly repented, because there's evidence, you will desire God more than you ever had before. You will return to God, you will come to Him, and you will listen and obey God's words and desire His words. And you will also obey a loving God. You will love Him. You will obey Him. You will return to Him. You will love Him. You will pour out your heart to Him. You will pursue Him. Just like the prodigal son. He came to the end of himself and he said and he repented and he had a change of mind. I need to go back to my Father. And the Lord your God will Circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. We see in verse 6 here the restoration. As remarkable and as prophetic. It took place certainly as it come out of Babylon and bringing them back, but that's, that is a short-term prophecy but there's an also a long-term prophecy here and the fact that there's a modern uh, restoration of Israel and it's still not complete that the God is now bringing the dead bones we see in uh, Ezekiel back to life we see that God restored in, in the nation of Israel and, and God's starting to pull people from all around the world and bringing them back to Israel as he said in the end times we see the fulfillment that's not yet, it probably will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. And they repent and they, they acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, I will change your heart and the heart of your descendants. And that change will cause you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That you may live a life of obedience to God. Verse 7. Also the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command you today. The Lord your God will will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, and in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you as good as he rejoiced over your fathers if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book of the law. And if you return to the Lord your God will, your, your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This is the third time just in this, this section about you have to do it with all your heart, with all your soul. It's got to be complete. It's got to be complete surrender. You can't be partial. I'll give them a little bit. I'll give them a, just a little hit, just a little bit, just to kind of pacify them. I don't know who you think you are to think you could just pacify God. Because just those words around you should understand your heart is not right. The soul is not right when you and I would talk like that. And think it's okay to have one foot in for God and one foot in for the world. It's carnality. It's the worst place you will ever want to live. These prophecies are fulfilled now in the modern restoration of Israel. He was saying to Israel, perhaps in the ultimate fulfillment, of course, in the millennium. But he says, this is how you need to do. You need to turn to the Lord, your, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And do it completely. Because you need to choose this covenant life. Make the covenant choice today.
And Moses concludes right here in this, this great sermon. He says, he says, for this com- commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it too far off. Nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over to the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, we must remember because we're created in the image of God, we have minds to think with. He's given us minds to think with. He's given us hearts to feel with and the will to decide with. God calls us to make right decisions. We're not robots. We can hear God's word. We can learn God's will. We can decide either to obey or disobey God's ways. And Moses makes it very clear here that making this decision isn't a difficult task. It's not difficult at all. We have the revealing truth of God in our hands, His Word of God right in our hands to listen and obey. It's not difficult, it's a decision. The word is available to us. No longer do we have to go to a priest to some Levite tribe and wait for them to tell us what God's word is to remind us. We have it for us every day, 24-7, and multiple factions. Electronic, hard copy, every language. Even Paul says in Romans 10, 6 through 12, or 6 through 10, quoted this passage to prove that righteousness isn't obtained by doing great feats. You don't become righteous because you've done some great feats for God, but by exercising simple faith in Jesus Christ the Lord. Your faith that you simply place like a childlike faith in the person of Jesus Christ is what makes you righteous. He makes you righteous. Not great feats. So the covenant with God made with the Israel, the old covenant, was not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. Israel could indeed keep this covenant if they wanted to. God doesn't expect us to do the impossible. He did not ask Israel to do something that was impossible. All he expected him to just keep his covenant. Just follow me. And don't follow anybody else. Love me. And don't put anyone else above me. Do what I ask you to do. Don't do things that go against me. a choice now it's interesting when he says the but the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it that doesn't mean that the mosaic law could be perfectly kept that a person could be sufficiently obedient to the mosaic law to earn the righteous standing before god not what it means. Remember that the law was only one aspect of the old covenant. They were also expected to sacrifice and the choice. They had to do all three. They had to obey the law. They needed to sacrifice and they had to make the choice. Three aspects of the old covenant. God never expects Israel to be perfectly obeying the law. They couldn't do that. 
and to find righteousness through law obedience. That is not how you become righteous, through obeying and keeping the law. I did the Ten Commandments today. I did the Ten I didn't do the Ten Commandments tomorrow. And then the next day, I did the Ten Commandments. No, 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 not the next day. That is why he provided the sacrifice. The punishment of a perfect, innocent victim in the place of the sinner had to be put in place. That was the lamb. God did not expect an Israelite to trust in his obedience to the law to save him. Though God wanted Israel to love his law, to, to love it and to, to pursue it. But God expected the Israelite to trust in the atonement made by the sacrifice to make him righteous. It was a temporary covering on the people when they had the sacrifice on the altar. And to understand that this sacrifice pointed toward a perfect sacrifice God would one day make through the Messiah. And that's what the Old Testament said. We make this sacrifice on the altar because it reminds you of the ultimate sacrifice that will be made by the Messiah that who would come. And it's in this God, this godly Israelite and the old covenant trusted in the work of Jesus the Messiah to save him even before the time of Jesus because everything was pointing the old covenant to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And they trusted by faith. And then we see in verse 15, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear or draw away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. So under the terms of the Old Covenant, Israel had a choice. Choose life or death. Choose evil or good or evil. That's your choice. Simple. Make a choice. Every day make that choice. It was up to them. And God was going to glorify himself through Israel one way or another. How it would happen was really their choice of how God was going to be glorified. It's very essential for us under the new covenant that we understand that Jesus Christ did not relate to God on the terms of the old, old Covenant. But on the terms of a better covenant. The New Covenant. And it was under this New Covenant. My relationship with God is not based on what I do for God. But on what Jesus has done on my behalf. It was his finished work on the cross that allows you and I to be able to live for God. To have a helper of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit to live within us, to empower us to live a life that is pleasing to God. For our sins to be wiped clean. To be made as white as snow. To understand it was not through the law, it's not through works, it's through the faith in, we place in Jesus Christ and his finished work. And we always have to remember, as we studied through the Old Testament so far, the Old Covenant is always inferior to the New, co the new Covenant. Yes, there was a high price to pay for rejecting the Old Covenant in those days. And if we know there's a if there is a price to pay for the rejection of the old covenant, how could we not understand that there is even greater penalty for rejecting an even greater covenant by rejecting Jesus Christ? We see that in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. And verses 19 and 20, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and 
death, blessing, and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. So we see here as we close, there's a choice. Choose life, Moses says, choose life. Please, he's begging you, he's earnestly saying, please, choose life. But understand, God really does care about what your choice is. He really cared about their choice if they were going to live for him. And when Moses pleads with Israel, crying out to choose life. And we know he reflected the heart of God when he says to Israel, please choose life. And I plead with you today, choose life. Choose to follow Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might.